In the opening scene of the Disney movie, Raya and the Last Dragon, we see a dystopian world and the lone rider blazing through a broken landscape filled with a tapestry of stone statues, hands raised to the sky. Our main character, Raya, narrates the story of how this all came about 500 years ago in the land of Kumandra. You see, Kumandra was full of life, color, harmony, and something so amazing, dragons. Dragons that brought water and rain and peace. This was paradise. But then the Droon came, darkness and destruction that spread like wildfire. The Droon would multiply as it consumes life in its pathway and turns everyone of Kumandra into stone. Now at this time, dragons fought for this utopia as best they could, but it wasn't enough. And there was still hope. The last dragon, the mighty Sisu. Sisu concentrated all her power into one magical stone that blasted the Droon away. The land was restored. The human statues turned back to flesh, but the dragons remained statues of stone. The only thing left of Sisu, the mighty dragon, was her gem. It should have been a blessing to the land where people united over her sacrifice, but instead, selfishly, they all fought over the gem, creating borders and a divided Kumandra. All the territories would fight to claim the last remnant of dragon magic in Sisu's hidden gem. Kumandra. Can you imagine a world like Kumandra that Raya described to us? Where everything was perfect. Everything was working together in harmony. Nothing out of place. Only good, peace, love, joy, no pain, no sickness, no drama, no temptation, no struggle, just straight up bliss. Kumandra. Well, it kind of seems like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Far-fetched that that could never exist? Well, wrong. In fact, it used to exist, but we didn't call it Kumandra. It's actually called, well, Earth. Your feet are literally standing on it right now. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was kind of like Kumandra, but way better. God created the light and the darkness, the sea and the sky, the sun and the moon, the plants and the animals, and everything that was in it. And after every time he created it, something specific on the earth, he stepped back and he said, that was good. But then to top it off, he decided to create humans, you and me, to enjoy the, the creation. And he created us specific with so much detail, personality, uniquely designed just for you. And after he created the first humans, Adam and Eve, he stepped back and he just didn't say it was good. He said it was very good in his eyes. However, God didn't make us like a bunch of robots going around. He gave us the ability to choose to love him or not to love him, to choose dark or light, good or evil. And just like the Droon, the evil that swept across Kumandra, evil, the devil, came and tempted Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 3, 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, it says that she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. They couldn't resist the temptation. 
And they took it and they ate the forbidden fruit that God told them not to eat of. And from that point, just like the Droon, sin had been spreading its sinful plague. It's been spreading its disease all across the earth. And just like the Droon, the sin would lead people to stone and then they would die. And the world would become so broken and separated from God. And not only broken and separated from God, but broken and separated from one another. As you know, people, we, we, we've turned on each other. We stopped trusting one another. Walls have gone up between us and we've put up borders. But the same human race, even though we're the same human race, we've become enemies with one another. We see this also play out in the story of Raya. Raya had just learned that she and her father were now the protectors of the spirit of Sisu, the last dragon gem, and how all the other villages, they were envious and they wanted the gem. But Raya's father, he longed for peace. He longed for unity. And so by his request, he called on all the other tribes to come to their village. But Raya struggled with that, and she didn't quite understand why her father would do such a thing. In this scene, we see our fierce heroine, Raya, 500 years later, and is talking to her dad, the chief of her territory called Hart, which is in possession of the hidden gem. For years, the chief had been trying to reconcile the land of Kumandra peacefully. Yet this young warrior, Raya, has plans to fight the different territories, all named after dragon parts, tail, talon, spine, and Hart's fiercest enemy, the Tribe of Fang. As Raya plans her strategy for attack, her father tells of his plans to invite the tribes to a feast so that they can talk together in peace. He wants to assure the tribes that Sisu's gem hidden in their land is not the source of their prosperity. Raya's father wants the tribes to come together to trust one another again before the land turns back into the dystopia as it was 500 years prior. The feast Hart is preparing is kind of like a peace offering, the first step towards harmony. As the four other tribes arrive, Raya's father, Chief Benja, the leader of Hart, addresses the skeptical crowd. He challenges them that today is a new day and that they can be at peace in Kumandra once more. The arguments and bickering begins as Raya steps forward to break up the tension in the air and cries out in a loud voice, I have something to say! Who's hungry? As a young girl, Namari, remember that name, of the Fang tribe, lets out a chuckle and the two young girls form an instant bond. In the beginning of that clip, we see Raya, she was ready to fight her enemies, to show who was boss, I mean, to show off her mad sword skills. And just when she thought her father was scheming to, to, with a plot to poison their enemies, he blew her away with this upside down thinking and says, we're not gonna poison them. We're gonna have a meal with them which reminds me of a time when Jesus blew everyone's mind with upside down thinking when he was giving a famous speech on a mountainside with tons of upside down thinking. And Matthew 5 uh, verse 38, he says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Wait, 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 turn the cheek. Wait, wait, what do you want me to do? 
He goes on and he gives other examples saying like, if someone tries to sue you for your shirt, then go ahead and give them your coat. If a soldier demands you to carry their gear for a mile, then I want you to go ahead and give it an extra mile. The whole idea that Jesus was trying to get to was when someone wrongs you, I want you to double down on them, but not on their level, but on a different level, my level. And it makes us pause for a moment. How easy is it for us to stoop down to someone's level when they attack us? I'll show them. But Jesus says, yeah, I want you to show them, but show them generosity. Show them love. Show them by shocking them. That's right. Show them by shocking them with something different. So when your spouse snaps at you, you can snap back or love them with silence. When you hear someone gossiping about you and just like bringing down your reputation, you could come back at them and talk smack about them or you can compliment them instead. Show them God's love by shocking them with God's love. And sometimes shocking people with God's love, it's not necessarily this big dramatic thing that we've got to do. Sometimes it's done in the most simplest of ways. Like when Raya's father made the soup, it just wasn't any kind of soup. He strategically made the soup with ingredients from each of the villages. It was him going out of his way to honor them and their culture. It was a gesture, like throwing out a white flag. Even though we've had our stuff or our past or our disagreements, I'm here to show that I desire unity and I'm going to go out of my way to show it. What about you? Where might you need to go out of your way? to show a gesture to an enemy or a relational tension that you might have in your life, to go extra for someone that you just can't stand, but for the sake of unity. Raya's dad said, if we don't stop and learn to trust one another again, it's only a matter of time before we tear each other apart. Trust has the power to make relationships come back to life. He also said, we can assume a lot about other people, but they can also be assuming a lot about us. Reminding me of this truth that assumption can be the greatest thief for reconciliation. Let me say that again. Assumption can become the greatest thief for reconciliation, right? Like we can start thinking, well, they're thinking this or they're thinking that, but they're thinking things about you. So we have to stop assuming and start moving. Stop assuming and start moving. What if we stopped assuming and just made the first step? Do you have the courage to take that first step? Do you have the character to rise above to the level that God is calling you to? What first step do you need to take? We see Raya's father model this for her, and then Raya lived it out as her relationship with Namari begins. But warning, warning, warning. As we know, just because we make the step towards unity doesn't always mean it will have the outcome that we're hoping for. You've ever met somebody who you felt like you've known forever? This is what happens with young Raya when she meets young Namari. Their instant bond turns into a trust that Raya hasn't experienced in all of her life. She tells Namari to follow her and she takes her to the secret hiding spot of magical Sisu's gem, the last bit of dragon magic in the whole world. But what seemed like two friends on an adventure of their lives suddenly turns into a nightmare. Namari kicks Raya to the ground, and two young warriors begin to fight as Raya tries to protect Sisu's gem. Namari sends a flare into the night sky, alerting her mother, the chief of Fang, of the secret location of the magical gem. Now the warriors of Fang and the other tribes arrive and the battle ensues over the gem. 
Raya's father, Chief Benja of Heart, pleads with the angry crowd saying that they still have a chance to come together and live in harmony. As he retreats his weapon, he's shot in the leg with a bow and arrow as all of the different tribes rush to the center of the inner circle of the hidden gem of Sisu. As they fight over the gem, it drops and is broken into five separate pieces. The cave begins to quake, and up from the ground emerges the glowing, screeching drone. Now remember, with each life it touches, it turns them to stone, and the drone grows. But the broken pieces of Sisu's gem still contain the dragon magic, and it can repel the drone. Each leader from the different tribes scrambles to grab a piece of the gem and hold it up, its magic towards the drone to escape from the despair. They realize that the drone is repelled by water, so all the tribes rush over to the bridge towards the river in chaos. As Raya helps her father to safety with his injured leg, the drone is growing and approaching quickly, leaving a wake of stone statues behind. In the chief's final words to his daughter, he cries out, You are now the guardian of the dragon gem. He hands her a broken piece of Sisu's gem, the gem to him that represents so much hope for the future of Kumandra. He tells his daughter that he loves her and throws Raya, still holding the broken gem, over the bridge into the water that would save her from the dream. Raya plunges into the water, and as she surfaces, she cries out to her father on the bridge, now a lifeless statue of stone. Wow. I mean, just before Raya's father throws her off the bridge, he knows that he's going to die. He just witnessed the other tribes betray him and all of his people. He's watching his friends be turned into stone. And then he looks at his daughter and he says to her, there is still light. There is still hope. And then he says, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Even after all that they've done, even after all that they've done, don't give up on them. You, you know, it reminds me of that old saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I mean, it makes sense to us, right? We understand that. However, that statement doesn't necessarily mean that we give up on the people who have harmed us. Yes, it means that we have to move cautious towards those people, but to not give up on those people and to keep striving towards seeing the best in others. Jesus, in the same message on the mountainside, he says this in verse 43, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. I mean, we've heard of this idea, but it seems so counterintuitive, right? It seems like such a foreign thing. Like we can think it, but then to actually do it? I mean, Namari literally said, in a different world, maybe we could have been friends. And then she betrays her. I mean, you think about the anger in Raya, the rage, the bitterness that began to form in her heart as she smashed into the water after seeing her father die. And then hearing the last words out of her father's mouth, don't give up on them. There's still hope. Don't give up on that. I mean, how is she supposed to do that? And you might be feeling the same way. How am I supposed to begin doing that? Don't give up on fill in the blank. Don't give up on them. I mean, who is that for you? Who have you given up on? We, we have already made the challenge earlier that we need to be people to make the first move, to make the first step. And you might be thinking, well, there's no way on earth I'm going to be able to do that. So then maybe your first move needs to be this. 
after Jesus said to love your enemies, then he says, I want you to pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. If you claim to be a Jesus follower, he's saying, pray for them. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those you have tension with. Pray for them when they come up in your mind. And the question here is for us is, when was the last time you prayed for an enemy? When was the last time you lifted someone up to God that you cannot stand? When was the last time you trusted God with your relational tension, with the bitterness that you have swirling in your spirit? And you might be saying, Travis, I can't. I can't do that. I, after how they tore me up or how they tore my family up, I can't even utter their name in a sentence. I, I literally would, would be lying. You actually want me to lie? Is that what you're telling me to do? One of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, asked him this question. He says, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone? Seven? And what does Jesus say? He says, no, not seven. Seventy times seven. Making the point because he knew that we wouldn't believe it at first and that it would take time. But we keep doing it. Even when you don't believe it, you pray for them. Even when you don't mean it, you keep praying for them. And why do we do it? to bring the best out in others. And so also that it will bring the best out in us so that we don't stay trapped in the prison of bitterness. And it might be the hardest thing that you've ever done, but it will be the most healing thing you could ever do. It might be the hardest thing that you'll ever do, but it'll be the most healing thing that you could ever do and you'll be stronger for it. But the other reason why we do it is because we're called to do it. I mean, he continues in the verse, he says, for God, he gives, us, he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain down on the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, well, what reward is that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that. But if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? He says, even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. In other words, here's what he's saying. You have a new identity. You are a child of God. So he's basically saying, grow up. Just grow up and act like it. Live it out. Live generously. Live graciously towards your enemies the way that God has lived it out for you. And this is the lesson that we see Raya battle with as she grows up. And she continues to have interactions with Namari, who portrays her again and again and again. And at the very end, we see Raya living it out, choosing to trust, choosing to forgive, choosing to not give up. And then she models it in the most ultimate way. Raya, now older, discovers that Sisu's dragon family sacrificed their lives to allow Sisu's gem to be so powerful. If Raya is able to get the stone pieces from the other leaders of the four tribes, she can defeat the Druun. Not by its magic, but by trusting each other. In order to defeat the darkness of the Druun, they have to come together. The other leaders are skeptical. So Raya takes the first step and releases her powerful gem into the hands of Namari, the one who betrayed her long ago. The Druun overtakes Raya and she's turned into statue of stone. The other leaders of the different tribes follow suit and hand the next piece of the broken gem over to Namari. One by one, the leaders turn to stone as the Druun begins to grow and surround Namari as she now holds all five pieces of Sisu's gem. Namari frantically tries to puzzle piece the gem back together, but it seems too late. The Druun is too powerful 
and the light goes out of the glowing gem as the Droom turns Numari to stone. But as you know, darkness cannot overcome the light. The gem of Sisu begins to glow, pulsing, and a light flare that permeates the land, destroying the drone and restoring the statue of stone to flesh. As rain begins to fall from the sky, showering the land of Kumandra once again with life, harmony, and hope. What a beautiful picture of humbling yourself to choose to trust, to see the best in others at your own expense. I mean, Raya put her life on the line for her friends and for her enemies. But more importantly, she saved the entire world. What love. But this is just a movie. Heck, I mean, this is just a cartoon, right? Can this love, that type of love exist? Well, the truth is, is it does exist. And it was displayed ultimately in a real version 2,000 years ago. Jesus said this, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone that would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus not only said it, but he lived it. God loved us so much that he wanted us to be saved from the penalty of death from our sins, from the evil that runs rampant on this earth. So he did the unthinkable and he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And then Jesus trusted the will of the Father and loved us so much that he chose to see the best in us and wanted to save us. And so he, Philippians 2, 7 says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and left his throne and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't have to do this but he did. And he took the first step that no one could take but him because it had to be God to do it, to save us. He didn't give up on us. He wanted us to be restored back to God, to experience Kumandra, if you will, but on a whole other level. He wanted us to experience heaven with him, to no longer be broken or separated from him anymore. And so he died, but he didn't just die. If he just died, then well, we wouldn't even be doing this video right now. It would be pointless. You see, death only hung around Jesus for like three days. And then his spirit, it bursts through the grave. And I love the picture in that clip we just watched where we see the spirit of Sisu sweep across the earth. And what did it do? It dismantled the drone. In a much bigger way, when Jesus exploded out of the grave, Jesus eradicated death and he crippled sin's power and penalty once and for all. And so now all the world including you and including me, has the chance to be saved from sin, to be restored and experience an eternal paradise. Anyone want that? Anyone want to live forever in paradise? Anyone want to be saved from the penalty of sin? I mean, sign me up. What do I got to do? Give me the list. How long is the list? It must be a long one. Guess what? There is no list. There's just one thing. Trust. Trust. Jesus says, trust me. You see, trust not only helps make relationships come back to life, but trust makes the dead come back to life. You see, because of our sin, we were dead. Ephesians reminds us of this, but, but we, we were dead, but God in his, he was so rich in his mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life 
when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Trust not only unites us with people, but it unites us with God. When we trust in Jesus to be our savior, it literally changes everything. And it gives us life that starts now and it lasts forever. Have you ever trusted Jesus to be your savior? Have you ever trusted Jesus to be your king? If you haven't, then we wanna give you that opportunity right now. So wherever you're watching, I wanna invite you to just close your eyes, bow your head, and just have a real conversation with the creator of the universe who loves you right now. And just wherever you're watching, just say, Father, here I am. I don't understand it all, but one thing I do know is today I wanna trust you. Just tell him that. I wanna trust you. I trust you to be my savior. Tell him that. I believe that you died for me and not only died for me, but you rose again for me. And so right now, I humble myself and I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, my friends, if you believe that, if you've trusted Jesus and believed in your heart that he is God and has the power to save you, the scriptures are so clear that you will no longer perish, but you will have everlasting life. Father, thank you for being you. Thank you for being a God that never gives up on us. And I ask God that those that are struggling with attention that is struggling with an enemy in their life, that you would give them the courage, that you would give them the character to make the first move, that you would give them the courage to to stop and pray for them, even in this moment now. Give us the strength, give us the courage to shock people with your love, to model what you have modeled for us. We pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen.